You recall the first four chapters of Acts depict an extraordinary, bountiful spirit of generosity that had broken out in the early church. Even at the end of the fourth chapter, we're told that the giving was so great that the people were together all of one heart and soul, and there wasn't a single person among them who had a need. That was the end of chapter 4. By the beginning of chapter 6, it's clear that this is no longer true. The church had continued to grow and grow and grow, literally by thousands. And with all of this growth came organizational problems, structural problems, frankly, justice issues, and the need to make changes in the new church. At this time, there were at least two different types of believers in the church. There were the Hebrew believers who were Jews from Judea, and there were what were told here were Hellenist believers, who were probably Jews from the diaspora, who spoke Greek rather than Aramaic. Now again, through the first four chapters of the story here, we're told that they were all together with one heart and soul. But now, just two chapters later, we're told that the Hellenists were complaining that their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution of food, while the, the Hebrew widows were well cared for. Now, we don't exactly know how this problem occurred. It may be that the people who were doing the distribution of food for the widows, ensuring that no one had a need, were Hebrews themselves and they were giving to their family members or the people they knew best or cared about the most, maybe. It may be that as the church continued to grow, it outgrew the old charismatic structure and it, it needed something a little more sophisticated, maybe. It may be that the people who were supposed to be passing out the food just weren't very good at their job. <laughs> as you often read in the leadership literature, never attribute to malice what can be explained by incompetence. Whatever the reason, there's a justice problem here. These people who should be getting fed aren't being fed, and the system isn't working. In fact, it's working against the people it's supposed to be serving. Now, if you asked any of the Hellenist or Hebrew believers in the church, through the first five chapters of Acts, are you happy that you're all worshiping together? They would say, absolutely. They would say, this is great. They would remind you of the story at Pentecost when the gospel was preached in different languages from, so that people from different nationalities could all hear the gospel in their own tongue. They would tell you about that. They may even stand tall and say, we have a diverse congregation. But as chapter 6 reveals, 
Diversity means a whole lot more than throwing different people into the same pot called Christian community. It means acknowledging the fact that some of us are privileged and some of us are neglected. That's the story here. It means telling the people who are privileged that you can't say this is not my problem, the people who are neglected should get privileged. That's not what happens here. The story means that you have to learn to listen to people who speak in different languages, from different cultures, and who are even daring to offer a complaint that the community doesn't work for them. Diversity means maintaining a rigorous commitment to what the text calls this one heart and one soul and doing what it takes, not just for reconciliation or for the language of diversity, but to make reparations. It means doing what's right to those that we have hurt and making the changes in the system that will make things just once again. When the apostles heard this complaint from the Hellenist, it's striking that they don't start complaining about the complainers. I can't tell you how many times I've been with my pastoral friends, usually off on some kind of conference or retreat, and they'll spend days complaining about the people in their church who complain, and they miss the irony of this. The apostles don't complain about the complainers. They don't set up a task force on food justice issues. They don't send an overture to the General Assembly of the church. They don't hold a town meeting. They don't write a paper. According to the text, we, we have no evidence that they even bothered to pray about this issue. What they did was fix the problem. So they gathered the people together and they said, we've got to make a change here. We, we need people to work on this issue. We, we need you to bring to us some believers who are full of the spirit and wisdom. And we will set them over this distribution of food issue, and that's what they do. Luke doesn't say this, but this appears to be the beginning of the office of the diaconate. This office, our first church office, by the way, begins not just in response to a problem that the church was having, it begins out of a very clear commitment to doing what it takes for the church to remain one heart and one soul. So with these new leaders, these deacons of the church, they're now able to meet the problems of the Hellenist widows who are at least being fed now. But more importantly, what the apostles do, the Hebrew apostles do, is to bring into leadership the Hellenist. All seven of these names that I read are Greek names. That's how diversity works. We meet the needs of those who have needs, and we share the power with anybody that God brings into the church. That's what it means to be a diverse community devoted to a rigorous understanding of one heart and soul.
We're told that when the people brought these leaders before the apostles, the apostles accepted them and then laid hands on them in front of the congregation. And then the praying starts for these who are going to be in leadership because the apostles knew this leadership was going to be challenging to these new deacons. They were going to bring the distribution of food to the Hellenist widows and the Hebrew widows, and both of these widows were going to say, well, yeah, but when are the apostles coming to visit? (laughs) Nothing has changed. They knew that was coming. They knew now is the time to pray for these who have taken on the burden of leadership, and so they laid hands on them. This is an ancient, ancient tradition. It goes at least as far back as Moses. God was the one who set this up and told Moses to pull apart Joshua, the son of Nun, in whom is my spirit, and set him in front of the congregation. Lay your hands upon him and commission him. What this has always been about is not giving people the spirit. According to the text, these people already have the spirit. Joshua already had the spirit. This is not about giving leaders magic hands. It's about commissioning them, calling them, setting them apart for a holy task. It's about orienting their lives. And just as this has been true from the days of Moses and the leaders of Israel and the Acts of the Apostles, So is it now true for you? Perhaps the time is now coming. For those who have spent their lives rigorously ensuring that with justice we remain a community of one heart and soul, now to place their hands on your head and say to you, it's your turn. Amen.